Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Aren't you glad he's risen? And we often say that on Easter Sunday morning. Somebody will say, he is risen, and the response often is, he is risen indeed. But we don't just celebrate that at Easter time. We celebrate that all year long. Because he is the reason that we gather every Sunday. He rose from the dead on a Sunday. We gather to worship the risen Savior on Sunday mornings as a corporate body of believers. Well, this morning we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 4. I trust you brought your copy of the scriptures with you. You can turn there and we'll meet up later in Ephesians chapter 4 when we get there uh, to uh, actually delve into the text. Um, But as we continue this study in the book of Ephesians, we see that we are being challenged by the Apostle Paul. We learned in chapters 1 through 3 the reasons why God has, uh, we are so blessed because of God, our great wealth that we have in Him. Um, And then last week, Paul threw down the gauntlet, didn't he? He took out that old white glove and he slapped us across the face and he says, come on people, get with it! Serve our great God. That's the challenge that he gave to us. Become more and more like Jesus Christ. Um, and that's how he started Ephesians chapter 4, jumping off into this, uh, this, this part of the book that says, hey, you need to not just talk the talk, but you need to walk the walk. You need to live like you say you live based on the way you talk. You know, sometimes um, we can talk a big game, right? But talk is cheap. And we've seen that over and over again in different things in life, whether it's in the workplace, on the sports field, wherever it might be. Talk is easy to accomplish, but it's the other other side of that that is difficult, and that's actually doing what we say we want to do and doing what we say that we believe. You'll notice the title of the sermon this morning is Perfect Gifts from Jesus. Okay, So this morning we're going to talk about gifts. And I think it's probably safe to say that most of us like the idea of gifts, right? Some of us like to get gifts, some of us like to give gifts, and some of us like both aspects of gifting, right? Uh, to get and to, re- and to, and to give. Um, I can remember when we were in college that we used to work for this guy named Dr. Jordan. He was, a, he was an amazing eye surgeon. In fact, rumor was that if the President of the United States needed to have surgery on his eyes, Dr. Jordan was the guy who would do it. Okay, now he never talked much about his his practice or or how good he was. Um, but he also one of his passions in life was horses. So he had this this big house and he had this barn and he had this uh, seven acres of property that he needed somebody to take care of. And so, um, as God would have it, my roommate and I ended up working for Dr. Jordan. We would take care of the, uh, the, the grounds, and we would plant fence posts, and we would, uh, we would throw hay up into the hay barn. There was no lift. There was no elevator. There was just two guys, one on the bottom, one on the top, one lifting them up, the hay bales, and the other person reaching down, grabbing it, pulling it through the square that was just a little bit bigger than the hay bales themselves. So anyways, it all had to go up into the top of the barn, so we spent uh, time doing that. Um, one day, just before we left for Christmas break, Dr. Jordan came out from the house with his big smile on his face. He says, boys, I want you to follow me to the barn. I want to show you your Christmas bonus. 
Now, he had already given us a Christmas present, but this was his Christmas bonus for Dave and I. As we walk to the bar, we're trying to figure out what in the world is it that he's going to give to us. Well, it wasn't necessarily something that he gave to us, but in a sense it was. You see, we had this old lawn tractor that he had had for years and years and years and years. And we spent as much time tinkering with that lawn tractor to keep it running as we did working on the grounds. So he opens up the barn doors and he says, here you go, boys. And it was a brand new, gravely 16 horsepower uh, tractor with a hydrostatic transmission. Uh, had all the, ga- uh, all the gadgets, everything you could ever want. We could plow snow with it. We could cut the grass with it. We could haul things with it. We could push things with it. We could do all kinds of things. And we could do it faster than we could do with the old one. And, and it just was a joy to have, a, to have this new tool at our disposal that he said, this, this boys, is for you guys to use as you work around the farm here. Woo! We were excited. We, we, we went home for Christmas, and, and then we came back all anticipating using this amazing gift that he gave to us so we could serve him more effectively. We used that tractor, man, we, every day we were on that tractor doing something, hauling stuff away from the grounds that we had cleaned up, uh, using it to, to haul posts over to the, for, the, 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 the horse corral and plant these post holes, dig the post holes and plant these, haul cement, all kinds of stuff we did with this gravely tractor. And we were so thrilled to have this gift from Dr. Jordan. Well, that's the idea we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. Christ has given us gifts that will help us serve him more effectively. When I was doing my, when I was answering questions for my ordination council, that was many, many years ago now, um, I remember one of the guys asking about a passage. Tell us a passage that talks about the gifts. Um, and so I listed, you know, 1 Corinthians and Romans and um, and he says, well, what do you think about um, Ephesians chapter 4? Aren't those, aren't those the gifts of the Spirit? And I said, well, not really, sir. He looked at me. I said, if you read the verse there, it says that those are gifts of Christ, gifts of Jesus to the church. They're not spiritual gifts per se, like we think about when we think of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 or 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And by the way, just a little aside here, let me tell you this, and my wife is smiling. Um, I, I do not believe that there is a comprehensive list of the spiritual gifts in Scripture. You know, it talks about speaking in tongues, uh, healing, and, and then the gifts of hospitality, and all those kinds of gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians and Romans. I do not believe that the Bible has a comprehensive list of spiritual gifts for the believers in the, in the church age. So what do you mean, Pastor? I, see, I think that those gifts that are listed are examples, because God doesn't put us in a box, God created us as individuals. He has given us abilities and talents. And if you want to call them gifts, go ahead and call them gifts that he has endowed you with for you to use, not for yourself, but for the building of the church of Jesus Christ, for serving God through those gifts. So you might read through all the gifts that are listed in Scripture. You might say, sure, nothing for me to do because none of my gifts are listed there. Well, you ain't off the hook, my friends. 
Just because there's not a gift that matches your description there in the pages of Scripture doesn't mean that you get off the hook of serving God. Like I said, they are examples. Those are possibilities, potential for you and I. And sometimes God says, no, you know what? This is how I want you to serve me. And this is how I want you to serve me. And, it, and the Holy Spirit works in and through us. You know, I never see in there mowing the lawn. But when you donate your time and your energy and your effort to do that, that's a gift. And when you, and when you don't just sit on the track and ride around in circles for three hours, because that's about how long it takes, but you take an extra interest in that, that's because God has gifted you with that passion to serve him in that way. So, so, like I said, that was just a little aside. Let's get back to the text. The gifts that we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4 are not spiritual gifts. These are gifts from Jesus to the church. And as we read through this and study it, we're going to understand that these gifts are given to the body of Christ, to the church, to serve God and to effectively minister on his behalf. Yes, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in building the church, he has equipped us with gifts. Just like Dr. Jordan gave us this gift of a brand spanking new out of the box gravely tractor. We talked about that for half a year because we complained about the old one for more time than that. When we got this new one, we told everybody about it. it was, we were excited about it. And can I tell you what? When God, Jesus, gives us a gift, we should be excited about that gift and thankful that he has blessed us with such an amazing gift. Now, you see the title. We've already referenced it this morning. But, but like I said, gifts who likes gifts? We're getting ready to enter into the Christmas. Who's done with all their Christmas shopping so far? Vonnie? You're the only one, Vonnie. How many people still plan to do Christmas shopping? Everybody's hands going up. We're going to go see Micah uh, in a little bit, and we're going to do Christmas out there with Micah. Um, and so he said, send me some ideas. And we said, well, you don't have to buy these. He said, Mom and Dad, I am not going to be the only one sitting around my Christmas tree opening Christmas presents. You have to send me ideas of what you want for Christmas. So praise the Lord, he's doing well enough to be able to do that. We haven't had Christmas gifts from Micah for a while, but that's okay, because he's, he's, uh, he was kind of trying to figure out things, and now he's got them moving in the right direction. So praise God, he, he wants to give gifts. We want to give him gifts, and it's always nice to get a gift. Speaking of gifts, I brought some this morning. I won't tell you who wrapped them because I was told not to tell. <laughs> I don't make assumptions. It could have been me. I could have told myself, don't tell who wrapped the gifts. All right. So, all of you got a bulletin this morning? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right. So, if you got a bulletin, take your bulletin out. And flip it over to the note page. You see, I only have four gifts, right? I had to figure out a way to give the gifts away. So if you have a green title of the message, would you please stand up? 
It's, it's kind of like going to a Syracuse football game. Uh, if you have such and such a number uh, on your ticket, then you get to get this present. Well, who's got, who else? Ha- okay, we got four standing. That's good. That means all of the bulletins that had numbers on them or green titles on them went out. All right, so you guys come up here and um, you're going to be able to choose your gift. Now, I will say this, okay, that the wrapping of the gift, the paper of the gift, kind of is a hint. It's just a little bit of a clue, okay? So, come on up, and we're going to let you choose what you want for a gift. I'm not going to argue because nobody else stood up with it saying they had a green bulletin, so that's, that's okay. All right, we'll let the ladies go first, okay? There's only one. Which one would you like? Can we? No, you can't touch. <laughs> no touching. I'll take the big one. All right. Remember, I said that the wrapping has kind of a clue as to who might want the gift. All right? Well, we'll... we'll well, we'll just let Gary pick next. You want that one? Okay. Are you ready? They won't break. All right. So you, you can open them. In fact, go back to your seat. At some point before we finish the message, I want you to go ahead and open those gifts. Now, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, how come I didn't get a gift? Well, here's the good thing. When, when we're talking about God and giving gifts, he gives gifts to everybody. Me, not so much. I mean, I like to give gifts, but I, you know, there's a limit. So anyway, so oh, go ahead and open your gifts. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16 this morning. So go ahead, let's stand together as we read this passage of Scripture. Uh, and then if you have not yet, open your Bibles to that passage of Scripture. But we're going to read from the screens again this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Reading together. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things." And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ." 
from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Before we go on, let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for you being who you are, the one true God, the one who has ordained salvation, the one who has provided for all the things that are necessary for us to be saved. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who willingly followed your plan and died on the cross so that we might be redeemed, that we might be brought back out of that slave market of sin. Father, what a blessing it is to be part of your family. We do want to pray for anyone here this morning who might not be yet part of your family. Um, perhaps there's someone sitting here or a couple or several sitting here this morning who have said, um, yeah, I'm saved, but really when they look back on their lives, they don't remember a time where they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, where they bowed their heart and their head before you, the almighty God, the creator of the universe, and confessed their sin. Perhaps there's someone here that's, way, that's, that's trusting in a works-based salvation. Perhaps there's someone here who is thinking, well, my mom and dad were Christians, so I must be a Christian too. Or, or some other thing that is um, blinding their eyes from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you do a work in their heart this morning and help them to see their need of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the finished work of, of Christ on the cross of Calvary that you ordained to be the only and all-sufficient means for salvation for anyone who would believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the work of the Spirit in our lives who helps us after we're saved. He, he chides us and he convicts us and he brings us to a point where we understand our need of salvation, but also, Father, he helps us to serve you well in the areas in which you have called us to serve. So we thank you for the Holy Spirit as well. We ask, Lord, that as we <coughs> continue our work through the book of Ephesians this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 7 through 16, that you would bless our hearts because we spent time together in your word. And Father, may you challenge us, may you teach us, may you allow your spirit to help us apply these things to our lives today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. As we continue on, we're at verse 7 in Ephesians chapter 4. We've just read it. And we've seen there that he talks about some gifts. And what we have here in verse 7 is the wrapping of the gifts. Now remember I said that the wrapping was a clue as to what the gift might, or to who the gift might be more suited for. Now, some of you might be thinking that the wrapping of a gift is not that important. But many would disagree with that. Our son Josh, when he was younger, he loved origami. So we bought him a book one time about origami, and he started reading the book and learning how to do even more in, in, intricate origami. So now, when he wraps his Christmas presents, he doesn't just wrap them up like the, you know to fit the package. He he very, spends a lot of time, and it's it's got all these folds and creases, and it's 3D, and it, I mean it's. Some of the stuff he does with these with wrapping presents, it, it's like he spends more time wrapping the present than he ever spent time thinking about what, was he, what he was wrapping, okay? Um, and so whenever anybody gets a gift from Josh, it's like, wow, that's a pretty impressive wrapping job that you did there, Josh, okay? Um, so he would definitely disagree with you that wrapping is not important. But here's some other thoughts about the idea of wrapping, 
I, when I give Josh a gift, I bought a couple years ago uh, on a Chris, after Christmas sale, I bought New York Yankees wrapping paper because he's a, he's a big Yankee fan. So all gifts that I give to Josh get wrapped in New York Yankees wrapping paper. Not, not, not a lot of creativity there, just a, a lot of loyalty there. So anyway, we wrap his in, Chris, in, in New York Yankees uh, paper. And it doesn't matter for him whether it's Christmas or, or birthday or whatever, it gets wrapped in Yankee wrapping paper. We're going to run out of that, so... Eventually, we'll probably wrap it, a birthday present. You know what we'll wrap it with? Birthday-themed wrapping paper. Well, you know, Christmas time, you go into the store, and what's one of the first things you see in the store? Wrapping paper. What kind of wrapping paper? Christmas wrapping paper. So it's got, um, you know, red and green and gold and silver and, and those traditional Christmas colors. Um, sometimes it has Santa Claus on it. Sometimes it has snowmen on it. So, but it, you, all, you know by looking at the wrapping paper that it's not birthday wrapping paper, right? It's Christmas wrapping paper. So when you, depending on how many gifts you buy, you might buy three or four rolls of wrapping. You can't wrap every present in the same wrapping paper, right? It's got to, you know, if you're going to give two or three presents to one person, it's got to be wrapped in two or three different kinds of wrapping paper. It can't be all wrapped in the same stuff, unless you're Josh. But anyway, um, so you get all this Christmas wrapping paper and you take it home and then whatever you don't use, what do you do with it? You save it for next year because you're not going to wrap somebody's birthday present in July with, wrap, with Christmas wrapping paper, right? You're going to then go out to the store and we do this. Um, we we got to buy a birthday gift. So what do we do? We either buy a bag so we don't have to wrap the present or we buy paper that matches a birthday or Barb gets invited to a baby shower. Again, we don't wrap it in Christmas wrapping paper, right? We wrap it in something that says, congratulations, you're going to be a mom, or whatever. It's got babies out. It's got babies on it, little cradles or bassinets or pink and blue, whatever. If you know the sex of the child, <laughs> it's going to be pink or blue wrap. So you wrap it specifically for that event. If it's a wedding, it usually has bells and all kinds of stuff on it to congratulate the couple that's going to get married. So the wrapping paper really is somewhat important. It tells you what the event is that you are celebrating. So have we here this morning in, in verse 7 the idea of the wrapping of the gift that God has given to us. Let me just read it one more time for you. It says there, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is the gift wrapped in? Well, it's wrapped in magnificent grace. The grace of God. Each one of you, grace was given. I believe that God has wrapped up his gifts in this thing called grace. In fact, the, word, the, the Greek word for that is charis. Okay? And so we have this idea of a gift from God wrapped all up in his grace. But you need to know something. This is not saving grace. Okay, um, This is not the grace that Paul wrote about in chapter 2 when he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But rather this grace is the grace that Paul is talking about called equipping grace. It's grace that equips you, that enables you and I to be used in the service of our Lord. Now, because these are gifts of grace, we are going to, um, there are some things that we need to know about these gifts. All right, let's talk about these gifts of grace from Jesus 
to the church. The recipients of these gifts need to understand that they are indeed gifts. Okay, They are not a skill or a product of self, but truly a gift from the grace of God. Now, I know I might get in trouble with this a little bit, but when my wife sits down here and plays the piano, she can play the way she does because she puts a lot of time and effort and energy. She spent years of her life learning how to play the piano. Chloe's in that process right now and doing very well and getting to a point where she actually plays up here. Next Sunday, when my wife isn't here, Chloe's going to be playing the piano. And it's not because somebody tapped her on the head with a magic wand, or let's not be too cynical here, it's not even because the Holy Spirit endowed her with the gifts to play the piano. She can't just come up here um, and, and say two or three months' time, not having practiced any of the songs that she wants to play in two or three months, sit down there and plunk them out on the piano. It'll, sorry Chloe or Barb, it would sound awful. Anybody, let's just, let's just prove that point. Okay, is there anybody here this morning that wants to come up here and sit, not Chloe and not Barb, somebody else that wants to come up here, sit down on the bench, and try to play um, Hymn of Heaven? Yeah. Anybody? You don't have your. And you can't play it on your phone. This is my rendition of Hymn of Heaven. I've never played the piano before. Okay, listen, Jim. Please don't quit your day job and, and volunteer to play for Name That Tune, okay? Okay, I won't. I mean, we love Jim, right? But does anybody want him to play the piano for the closing song? Yeah. See, see, that's, that's a skill that is acquired. It's something that you work hard at. It's something that you, you, you don't just expect God to say, okay, give me that gift of playing the piano. Because you know what? If that was possible, I would have asked him a long time ago, give me the gift of singing. We're still waiting. It hasn't happened yet. And you know what? Here's another thing. If I paid money for, to somebody to give me singing lessons, I'm not sure that would help. I'm not sure that that would be a good use of money. Probably not the best stewardship investment that I could make. All right? That's where it comes into make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And that's what God said. Make a joyful noise. So, so this idea of the gift that God has given to us is something that is not the result of self. It's not the result of hard work. It is indeed a gift of God that he has given to us. And in this case, that Jesus has given to the church. Those that receive, the second thing that we need to understand is those that receive these gifts must also understand that his, <laughs> excuse me, his gift is only one of many and will accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. 
I can't make it better. I can't uh, make it worse. Thank God for that. I, I can't change it. It is something that he has given. He's given it in many different facets to many different people. I'm not the only one that has it. God has determined what it is and gives it to us. Thirdly, we see that, that, that those who receive the gift also need to be eager to use the gift. Now, Jim was eager to come up here and, and play the piano, but I appreciate Jim. He's willing to play along with my silliness sometimes, okay? Um, but, you know, not, when God gives us a gift, when he endows this gift upon us, we need to be so eager to use it and, and want to use it because it's given to us by God and it's given to us so that you and I can bring honor and glory to him through the use of the gift. It's not to get a pat on the back. It's not to get a, a human saying, well done, that was great, that was amazing. It, was, it is done to bring glory and honor to our great God. That's this idea of magnificent grace. God pours it out on us, and there's nothing that we can do to earn it, improve it, or get better with it. We also see that this gift, part of the wrapping, is that it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I used to work at an office supply store in Norwich. One of the things that we had to do at Christmas time, and, and Jean wanted me to do it, and I don't know why she wanted me to do it, but she had this little wrapping station. I know why she wanted me to do it, because it was down in the dungeon, and nobody else wanted to go down there, and that's where I worked. Um, but anyway, she said, now, you need to wrap. Sometimes people are going to come in here at Christmas time, and they want Christmas gifts. I want you to wrap the gifts for them. You could have moved the wrapping station upstairs and had somebody else wrap the gifts. Okay, but I got okay at it, and I tried to make sure that everything was square, and I mean, the first gift that I wrapped probably wasn't so good, and she told me about it, but anyway, um, so this idea of, of wrapping gifts, you know, um, I, I brought this morning, the, the Bible, oops, did you open your gifts yet? Okay, uh, anyway, one of the gifts is over here at church, and um, I, br I brought the whole wrap, I put it on the whole, the whole roll of wrapping paper on the stuff next to everything else we were bringing to bring over here to wrap the last gift. My wife picked up the roll of wrapping paper, she took it over to her desk and she said, how big is this gift? And I said, well, it depends on if I have any left of this one or if I, it's that one, that I'm, the other one. I'm so she cut off a piece of wrapping paper that would wrap the biggest one possible that we had over here to give away. She measured it. Sort of. Not me. I brought the whole roll. You see, when you measure, you, you don't want to waste your wrapping paper, right? Because it ain't cheap anymore. The measuring device that God used for our gifts is Christ himself. It's the measure of Christ's gift. In this phrase, we have the idea of a standard or a purpose. I tied it into the wrapping because... Sometimes the wrapping of a gift defines the purpose of the gift. We've already talked about this. We don't wrap birthday presents in baby shower gifts, baby shower wrapping paper. We wrap them in appropriate kinds of paper. So the idea of this wrapping of according to Christ's gift, God's grace helps us understand the purpose of Christ's gift and why he gave it. And we find that purpose in verses 11 and 12. And we're going to spend some time talking about it, but let me just share what the purpose is for you. In verses 11 and 12, Paul says that God gave the gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These gifts that are given are very specific in nature and for a very specific purpose. 
So we see that the wrapping is indeed important. Not only is it important, but it's also nice to know who gave the gift, and that's usually on the wrapping of the paper, of the gift, right? We, we like to keep track of who gave, gave what gift so you can express uh, a thanks and appreciation for the gift given. Often at a wedding shower or a baby shower, there's this person that they might call a scribe, who when the person who is being gifted with these amazing, wonderful, practical gifts unwraps the gift, before they unwrap it, they take the card or they take the label and they say, this is a gift from so-and-so, and the scribe writes down the person's name, and then after the gift is open, they also write down what it was, so that later on, if the person is polite and has good manners, they will write a thank you note for all of the gifts that they got. But if it's not labeled... You can't do that. We got, a lot, we got several gifts for Pastor's Appreciation Month. Thank you to all of you who donated uh, and gave gifts to us for that purpose. So when we got them on the card, we wrote what it was and who gave it. Unless uh, Obviously, if their name was signed, we'd have to write who gave it. But we had some anonymous gifts, so we just wrote what it was. So hopefully, if you gave us something for Pastor Appreciation Month, you got a thank you note. And we want to express our gratitude and our appreciation and our love to you for blessing us with those kinds of gifts. That's important. A person should give thanks and honor to the person who gifted, who gave it to you. Um, as we move for, further forward in chapter 4, we're going to see um, more about the giver and more about how you and I, as the recipients of the gift, can respond to the giver. But the wrapping of the gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. And here's the other thing. Sometimes when I buy a gift, I'm not sure. I remember when I was a little kid. And, you know, how many people used to get that, um, what was it called, the shopper or the trader or something or other? A little, Harriet Carter, that's what it was. Harriet Carter was a little magazine that had all kinds of things that you could buy. And, and I remember going through that booklet at my grandfather's house and looking at who I, you know, how, who, what can I buy for Aunt Betty Jean? What can I buy for Uncle Wayne? What can I buy for? And, and I'm kind of struggling and I'm frustrated. And I said, man, this is hard. And Grandpa looks at me and says, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to find gifts for everybody. So, you know, so as a kid, you don't have a lot of money anyway. Um, so, so he says, well, Timmy, don't worry about it. You buy the gift that you want to buy and give to them. And if they don't like it, that's too bad. That's their problem, not yours. That might have been the greatest gift-giving advice that I ever got. So the, the giving of the gift, you want to try and make sure that it fits the person that you give it to. And, and Christ never makes any mistake as he gives out his gifts. It's always perfect. It's always just right for what is meant to accomplish. So you see, the wrapping of the gifts does have a purpose in God's scheme of things. And so the wrapping is not only important, but it's also uh, significant in knowing who gave the, church, who gave the gift. Um, so Paul is going to reveal to us some things that uh, are important about understanding how God blessed the church with these gifts. Verses 7 through 10, we see the wonder of the gifts. The very last part of verse 7 tells us that the giver is Christ. And then in verses 8 through 10, we learn some impressive things about the giver. So, so let's, let's try to figure out, not only does he identify by the things that he did, 
but it also shows the magnificence and the wonder of the giver. First of all, we see in verse, verse 8 that he returned to glory. See that phrase where it says, when he ascended on high. The giver of these gifts did not remain on earth forever, and that was never the plan for him to stay on earth. After he completed his mission, if you will, he returned to glory, which was the Father's plan all along to receive the Son back to glory. He came from glory. He did what he needed to do while he was here on earth, and he returned. He, he ascended back into glory. He returned to the Father's side, which is his rightful place. He ascended on high. And you know what? I'm so thankful that he ascended back on high. And you know why I'm thankful for that? Because if he didn't ascend back on high and sit back down at the Father's right hand, his work would not be finished. Salvation would not be possible for us. The cross would be of none effect if Christ remained on earth. He ascended back on high, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He returned to glory from where he came. We also see that he rescued his bride. That phrase where it says there in the text, he led captivity captive. Jesus made salvation available or possible for all of mankind. Before salvation, every man, every person, every boy, girl, every individual who was ever born onto this earth from human parents was in captivity. Many of them still are. You say, Pastor, what are they in captivity to? Well, sin, bondage, death, hell. Those are not good things to be in bondage to. But it says here that he led captivity captive. The death of Christ and his resurrection frees us from that captivity. It frees us from the bond of Satan. And it allows us the freedom to do what is right. And to do those things that are pleasing to the Lord. Before salvation, we are bound in sin and we, have, we do not have the opportunity to do what is right before God. Oh, people do good things from, now, from time to time, but they don't do them with the right motives. They don't do them for the right reasons. And in the end of the day, sometimes what they think is good and right isn't even good and right. But as, the, as a child of God, as part of the bride of Christ, I now have the opportunity to do what is right because of what Christ has done for me on the cross of Calvary. He rescued me from bondage, set me free. And then we see in this text, verses 7 through 10, that the redeemed received the Holy Spirit. Yep, we're talking about it again. Getting the gift of the Holy Spirit. After ascending to heaven, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit as a gift to those who would trust in his work on Calvary. Remember how Jesus told his, his disciples how important it was for him to return to heaven? They didn't want him to return to heaven. They wanted him to stay here forever. They were happy, quite happy for him to stay here be what he said he was going to be, the builder of the church, the head of the church, the, 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 the ma their master, their discipler. 
They were very happy for him to stay here. But he said, "Uh -uh, I can't. It is better, and I'm going to do this. Sorry, Jim. Sorry, Barb. All you grammarians here. It was more better for Jesus to go back to glory than it was for him to stay here on earth. Because he said, I I have to go. And and it's better for me to go because when I go, I will send the comforter. I will send another like me to indwell you. He said it this way in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. I'm going to go back to heaven and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, who's going to come and he's going to be very good for you. This is all a a quote from the Old Testament. He ascended on high and he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. That's all a quote from the Old Testament. Let me explain it to you this way. What Paul just described is very similar to what would happen in the Old Testament after a victorious king returned home from battle. Okay? In Psalm 68, David puts to words one of his many victory celebrations. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, sounds a lot like Psalm 68, 18. Only in Ephesians, Paul specifically speaks of Christ's victory over Satan on the cross by saying Christ ascended on high and he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Here's the explanation. When he ascended, Paul wants us to be sure We know who he is talking about. The one who ascended, first he says, descended to the lower parts of the earth. Now, we're not getting into a lot of detail here, but let me just explain what I believe that that means. Um, uh, I believe that this is a reference to the incarnation and to the death of our Savior. We sing the song, you came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. We sing that song, not so much anymore, but we used to sing that song, and it's a good song to sing, and it's talking about the fact that Christ descended from heaven to earth, and then he was placed on a cross, lifted up, put on a cross, and then when he was taken off from the cross, he was placed in a grave in the lower parts of the earth. And he descended. And then, hallelujah, he rose again. You see, the one who descended is also Christ who ascended. Not only did he come to earth to deliver us from Satan's bondage through his death and his burial, but he rose from the dead and he returned to his father's right hand where he sat down as the one that completed the task that he was sent to do. This is, my friends, his rightful place, far above all other things, far above all other powers, all other principalities. There is nothing more, there's nothing above our Savior, Jesus Christ. He has ascended to the right hand of our, of our great God. And as a result, he fills all things. He fills all things. He, if you will, he completes all things. I like the comment that MacArthur makes in regard to this concept. He says, does all things mean all prophecies, all assigned tasks, all universal sovereignty? 
Surely the answer is yes in regard to each of those aspects. But the context would dictate that his filling all things primarily has to do with his glorious divine presence and power expressed in universal sovereignty. He fills the entire universe with blessing, particularly his church, as the next verse illustrates. Jesus fills all things with his divine sovereignty, his universal sovereignty. We talked about this yesterday at our men's breakfast, guys, didn't we? The fact that God is sovereign. I love Jody's testimony. Can I share it? He's sitting, you know, you know what he's gone through, right, with his uh, identity theft and everything? He was sitting down in somebody's office this last week and, and the doctor's office and was telling him why he had to wait so long to get in to see a doctor. And, and the, doc, the doctor says, wow, I really feel bad for you that you've gone through all of this. And Jody said, don't feel bad for me. Because if it weren't for all of that, I wouldn't have come to know Jesus as my Savior. Oh, hallelujah! That's a testimony that talks about the fact, he said, God is sovereign. This happened because God had a plan to bring me, and I'm going to say it again because I love it, from being the preble Nazi to bring the preble, the preble Baptist. God's sovereignty at work, even in the midst of adverse, difficult situations. God is doing what only God can do. And as a result, Jody gets to testify of the goodness of God and declare the glory of his Savior. Praise the Lord. He does indeed fill all things. Well, let's keep moving because we've got to get through the rest of the text you say, no, you don't, Pastor, because you don't do it at mo- some other times. But we're going to try. Verse 11, the working of Christ's gifts. Having ascended to his rightful place, Christ has full authority to give gifts, and that's exactly what he did. Now, as we've already talked about, that these, are diff- these gifts that Jesus gave are different from spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the supernatural abilities that the Holy Spirit gives. The Spirit works through these individuals for God's honor and glory. But the gifts that Paul is talking about here in chapter 4 are the gifts specifically of Jesus Christ and they are the offices or functions that people will hold. He also, we also need to understand that it's not Paul's intention here to list all of the church offices, okay? Uh, he, he's not doing that. Paul is simply trying to communicate that those who serve the Lord in such a capacity are a gift from Christ and they are for the furtherance of the gospel in the establishment of the body of Jesus Christ, his church. And that's why he gave these gifts. So let's look at the gifts that Paul mentions. You'll see that the gifts fall into two categories. The first category are foundational and temporary. And the second category are what we would call forever trustworthy gifts, okay? So let's take some time here. The foundational and temporary gifts, he mentions them first. He says they are apostles, and I'll throw the other one at you. It's on your note page, prophets. But let's talk a little bit about these two offices. In the New Testament terms, an apostle was one who had seen the risen Lord, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 7 and 8 says this, after that, He, that's Jesus, was seen by James, then by all the apostles. 
Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So the apostles, every one of them that served and held the title of an apostle, saw the risen Christ. Can I tell you something? There ain't no apostles today. Because none of them, nobody alive today, has seen the risen Christ face to face. Every apostle in the New Testament saw Jesus face to face. Here's another thing. This is applies to us today, but we haven't seen Jesus face to face. An apostle was one who has been sent out and commissioned personally by Jesus Christ. You remember what happened? Um, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what God was doing? He was making an, a Paul an apostle on that day. He commissioned Paul to go out and serve him. Remember what, he, remember what God told Ananias? <laughs> I'm going to show Paul what things he must suffer on my behalf. I'm going to send him to Jews and Gentiles and people in positions of authority. And, and he's going to be used by me to communicate the gospel to so many people and to start so many churches all across the known world at the time. Paul was definitely commissioned by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And you say, well, when, when did he see him personally? He didn't really see him in Acts, in Acts chapter 9. You're right, he didn't. Ladies Bible study, if you were here on, on Tuesday night, talked about that a little bit. When did Paul see Jesus? When Jesus came down, specially, special dispensation, if you want to call it that, on the backside of the Arabian desert, Paul met Jesus face to face, and Jesus taught Paul in the Arabian desert, making him truly an apostle. And he defends his apostleship to the hilt. He said, no, 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 I am just as much an apostle as anybody else. Here's my credentials. An apostle, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, is one who worked in the power of Christ and the fruit was evident. He says, Paul, am I not an apostle? You know what these are, right? These are rhetorical questions that don't require an answer. Am I not an apostle? The answer, yes, I am. Am I not free? Yes, I am. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Yes, I have. Are you not my work in the Lord? <laughs> yes, you are. If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you have the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul, my friends, was an apostle. James, John, Peter, you know them all. They were apostles. So based on these principles, it's safe to believe that after the first century Christians died off, there would have been no more apostles. Because Jesus Christ did not come back to earth again, and neither do we have any other accounts like the Apostle Paul's experience on the road to Damascus and the years that followed that. We had this conversation many times when we were in South Africa. We had the first apostolic church and the second apostolic church. And the people who lead the apostolic churches, you know what they're called? They're not called pastor so-and-so, they're called Apostle so-and-so. And so people would ask me, Pastor, how come they're called apostles? I said, well, because they don't believe the truth. What? What's our standard for truth? Right here. This is the standard. Okay? We don't find any more apostles after the first century because 
There's no more apostles that saw the risen Christ. There's no more people that were commissioned by the risen Christ face to face. There were no more taught by Jesus Christ face to face. Yes, we are taught through the pages of Scripture. We are called by perhaps a convicting verse in the pages of Scripture, the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We are called that way, but we have never seen Jesus face to face. We also learn from the ministry of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament that the ministry of the Apostles was in part to provide credibility to the church <coughs> excuse me, as eyewitnesses of Christ. And secondly, we know that they had the primary function of spreading the message of Christ for the establishment of the body of Christ. Remember, we, get in Acts, we read in Acts chapter 6, the advice the apostles gave to the Jewish Christians. It says there that then they summoned, the, the, the 12, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There were many disciples, there were many people who could serve God in other capacities. The apostles were serving God as the foundation builders of the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why they existed. We'll move on because time is quickly running away from us. We have prophets. We have apostles. We have prophets. The prophets were inspired of God to help minister the word of God to the young church. The prophet has always been considered by God as the spokesperson to his people. I remember a prophet of mine saying in, in Bible college that the, pro, the, the prophet was like the elbow in the plumbing from God to his people. Now, when scriptures were completed, there was no longer a need for this office. The scriptures provide us with all that we need for salvation. And as a result of our salvation, we are told in Hebrews, and you're going to love this, you've heard it before, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6, you know what it says? Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't need the prophets to reveal to us God's word and speak to God on our behalf. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, we read this. Therefore, brethren, get this. This is something that nobody could ever do except for one person at a time who was designated so by God. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Nobody could enter the holiest outside of the high priest once a year with a rope tied around his ankle in case he did something wrong, they could pull him out because God would strike him dead. You and I, we can enter the holy of holies anytime we want without a rope, without a fear of being struck dead because Jesus Christ broke down the middle wall of the partition that was there and he has given us the privilege and the opportunity. In fact, he has commanded us to go into the presence of the holy of holies. How do we do it? Verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 10. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, because there was no other way for us to be able to get into the presence of God outside of this new and living way that the writer of Hebrews tells us about. Oh, man. You want to talk about an amazing gift that God has given to his people? 
That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. We don't even need prophets or apostles anymore because they served their purpose. They fulfilled their role. And God says now to us, go serve me the way I've called you to serve me. Francis Folk says it this way. On occasion, they might foretell the future, as in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, and chapter 21, verses 9 and 11. But like the Old Testament prophets, their great work was to foretell the word of God. This might be in bringing to light with, with convicting power the sins of men, 1 Corinthians 14, or in bringing new strength to the church by the word of exhortation, Acts chapter 25. These two offices, apostle and prophet, were foundational and they were temporary. We need to keep moving. We see the forever trustworthy gifts. Also in chapter 4, verse 12, they're evangelist and pastor teacher. The word evangelist, it literally means a bearer of good news. Or you would say, uh, one that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a very real sense, every one of us is an evangelist. Not necessarily a special office. God sends us out to tell the good news, to bear the news of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and offer of salvation to mankind. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy was an assistant to Paul, pastor of a local church. He's called an evangelist. God calls, you see, both the spiritually minded person in the church as well as the pastor of a church to do the work of an evangelist. To be sensitive to the Spirit's direction in our lives and to be willing to communicate the truth of the gospel of God and and. God gives us the opportunity to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. I want us to understand this morning that being an evangelist, being an itinerant preacher, I mean, is not necessarily the same thing as being an evangelist. We have people that travel around. In fact, there's even a specific organization that's dedicated to evangelism. And what these guys do is they travel from church to church and they preach that's not really an evangelist. A lot of times people say, we're going to have a revival meeting, and they have bring in an evangelist. I, I, I never understood those. Because, you know, who brings revival? God, the Holy Spirit. I, I can bring in a hundred different preachers in a year and call them evangelistic meetings or, or revival meetings. Unless the Spirit of God is working, that ain't going to happen. An itinerant preacher is not an evangelist, but one who goes out and bears the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying and, and leads others to Christ. They're an evangelist. We have to be sensitive to the Spirit's direction in our life and willing to communicate the truth of the gospel and let God do the work that only God can do, and that's bring others to himself. Every time you and I tell someone else about Jesus and the work that he did on the cross of Calvary, we are doing the work of an evangelist. And that's a gift from Jesus to the church. The other gift that he gives uh, is pastor-teacher. Notice here that Paul does not say Christ gave some pastors and some teachers. He gave pastor-teachers. You see, this is, this is one role. The role or the function that Christ gave is one position, it's one office. And Paul wants the Ephesian believers to understand that the role of the pastor is also one of a teacher. I'm sorry, I'm going to be bold here. If you can't teach the word of God, there is no place for you to be a pastor in the church of Jesus Christ. 
and we could go on with that. We, we have, not, I shouldn't say we, there are churches that have ladies that they put into the place of pastor. I won't tell you about the one big one in California that has done this. Um, oh, they're not, they're not preaching on Sunday morning, but we're calling them pastors. No. It's not. They have to teach the Word of God. If they can't teach the Word of God, then they shouldn't be called a pastor. Well, but they're not teaching. No, no, no. The role, the office of a pastor is clearly defined for us in the pages of Scripture. We don't have time to get there. But understand this. It's, it's a very specific role. It's a role that God has said, I've called men to fill that role and for a very specific purpose. And we'll get to that another time maybe. But pastor-teacher is not a... Remember what he says uh, over in... Um, it's gone now. Um, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good... What does he say there? If a man desires the office of a bishop, pastor, overseer, whatever, whatever term for pastor you want to put in there, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. First Timothy and Titus, Paul outlines the qualifications of the pastor. They're simple tells us that the office of the pastor-teacher has been given by Christ to the church, and the pastor and the, de- the pastor and teacher must be the leader of the church, and he needs to lead by example. We're going to wrap it up quickly. There are three things that the pastor-teacher is responsible for. Write them down if you want. He's responsible for oversight in the church. He's responsible for feeding the flock, and he, along with the rest of the church, is responsible for doing the work of the evangelist. Doing the work of an evangelist along with others in the body of Christ. Well, let's quickly finish this. The worth of, the, of Christ's gifts, verses 12 through 16. The worth of Christ's gifts. Let's think some more about the purpose for which Christ gave these gifts. I, I've given out gifts this morning. If you got your gift, hold it up in the air. These gifts were designed to, to have a multi-purpose uh, effect, okay? Um, Evan, what do you have? A dishcloth. Mary Jo, are you happy for that dishcloth? Who, who, whose gift is it, though? Right, it's Evan's gift, right? So Evan is supposed to use that gift to wash dishes, Right? It wasn't intended to be that way. I mean, it just worked out that way. You get the gift of the dishcloth. So, so you get to use it. Now the dual purpose of that, when we, were, when we were missionaries and we'd travel around to all these different churches come back on furlough, Barb would spend hours and hours and hours making all these dishcloths. And we would give these dishcloths away on furlough and say, we're going to give you, you can have a dishcloth and, and we obviously want you to use it. We don't want you to just, like my mom, fold it up, put it in a drawer and don't ever use it. We want you to use it. Okay? And when you use it, we want you to do something else while you're using it. We want you to pray for the Mowers in South Africa uh, that God would use us for his honor and his glory. That was the dual purpose. Clean your dishes and remember to pray for us while you were cleaning your dishes using the dishcloth that we... That's why we didn't want you to put it in the drawer. We wanted you to use it. So you, the more you used it, the more you prayed for us. Adam got a hat. You can take the patch off if you want. I got it free, so I thought I'm going to wrap it up in a do regifting, okay? But you know what? That's, that's a warm hat, okay? Um, and it, it, it looks a lot like my Carhartt hat I have. I don't know if it is a Carhartt, but anyway, there's a dual purpose there as well. 
Okay? It, for tractor supply, they gave it to me so I would wear it when I was working there. <laughs> I mean, sorry for them. Um, but anyway, um, I'm not working there anymore. I'm not going to wear it. Um, I'm not going to advertise for them, but, but it serves as an advertisement for them. But more importantly, it keeps your head warm. Keeps your ears warm. You don't get frostbite on your ears when you're out in the cold weather. Karen. A little blanket. Soft and, soft and snuggly, isn't it? Yeah. So that also serves a couple of different purposes. If you live in my house and you use that blanket, as soon as you open it up and go to sit down, something else is jumping up on the, on the couch to sit down with you. You know what it is? It's jaunty. I, mean, I can't even open a blanket without jaunty coming around, stepping on the bottom of the blanket till I pull it up and say, get out of here. And then as soon as I sit down, he's on my lap underneath the blanket. Snuggling. He doesn't snuggle a lot, but he does when you have a blanket. He wants to be under that blanket. He wants to be sitting. So I get snuggle time with the dog. You know what else it works for? When you open it up and the grandkids are around? They also want to be on your lap and you want to snuggle with you. So it provides snuggle time, all right? But in a very practical sense, we don't, this is just a personal preference at our house, all right? It's not because we can't afford it. We don't turn the heat on very high. Probably because we lived in Africa where you didn't have heat. So we'll grab a blanket and we'll wrap up in a blanket and we'll go sit down. That's what we do around our house. We don't need to have the heat turned up really high. We grab a blanket, we sit down. In fact, I like when it starts to get a little chilly so I can grab that blanket and I can wrap up in it and I can sit down. I'm going to go home this afternoon and hopefully I'm going to watch the Cowboys on TV I'm going to wrap up in my Cowboys blanket. I might have to listen to it on the radio because I don't know if it's going to be played locally. But anyway, it has a dual purpose. And then finally, Gary, what'd you get? All right, so as good as a devotional book may be, let me put that may in there, as good as a devotional book may be, it doesn't hold a candle to the Bible. Because the Bible is God's word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide God's word in my heart. That I want. There's so much for the Bible that is beneficial for us. In fact, it's the way to life. What does it say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Man, Gary, you got the best book. You got the best gift. Now, all these other gifts are good, but that's the best one. But, but you see, God has given us gifts. And all the difference between God giving gifts and me giving gifts, you could rank them. Evan may not be too excited about his gift. Okay, Gary loves his, but when God gives a gift, it's always the best gift. It's always a great gift. It's, there, there, there's nothing to say, oh, man, I wish I didn't get that gift. And God, couldn't you give me a different gift? Now, sometimes when you get frustrated with me, you might be thinking that. Man, Pat, can't you give us a different gift? Um, but you see, God gave us gifts. And you know what the gifts are for? Very quickly, I'm sorry we're going over. Um, but the gifts are to equip the saints for service. All right? It's important for us to see that Paul does not say that Christ gave, uh, gave the gifts in verse 11 to do the work of the ministry. But it says there, take a look at verse 11. It's very specific 
it says that Christ gave gifts to the church to do what? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Can I tell you something? And I told this when we candidated 10 years ago now. Don't expect me, don't hire me to do all the work of Calvary Baptist Church. That's not what the Bible says is supposed to happen. The Bible says that you have a pastor who equips the church, who equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. So in other words, that means together we do the work of the ministry. It takes every one of us to get the ministry done that God wants Calvary Baptist Church of Prowl to do. And I said, don't hire me to be the only one who does this, this, and that. Hire me to help you learn how to do that. And, and where do we do that? We do that on Sunday mornings. We do that on Sunday nights. Ladies, you do that on Tuesday nights at this point in time. It might not be the best night for all of you, so you might change that um, based on the historical trend of attendance throughout the quarter. Um, Men, we do it on Saturday mornings once a month for breakfast. When we gather together as brothers and sisters or simply as brothers or simply as sisters or as the whole body of Christ, we gather together for the purpose of equipping the saints, learning God's word so we can go out and do what God has called us to do. And that's to tell others about Jesus Christ. It's the idea of teamwork. Paul talks a lot about that over in 1 Corinthians. The body concept. Each member has something that God has called them to do. And if they don't do what God has called them to do, then the body isn't functioning properly. So take advantage of the opportunities to be equipped for service. And then another part of the gift, the reason God gave the gift, is to edify the body of Christ. Paul and Christ want the body of Christ to grow and to be challenged you know what? Stagnation is not the will of God for any Christian or group of believers. He wants all of us to be growing. He uses the word edify. That word edify means to build up. And in the next couple of verses, we won't spend a lot of time, but Paul says this is why we edify. This is how we edify. We grow up in maturity, verse 13. We are mature when we possess the unity of the faith. You know, the faith is here, it's not the traditional definition for faith that we use. It's the definition that Jude uses over in his one chapter book when he says that we were once for all delivered the body of faith, the truth of God. This, once for all delivered to the saints. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What does that faith do for us? It causes us to mature. It says in verse 14, we are being edified so we will no longer be children. You know what? I often challenge people when they say, man, I'm raising my child for this. Am I raising my child? No, you're not. Well, at least if that's your philosophy, sorry for this, but that's not the right philosophy because you're not raising children. What are we raising? We have children, right? We're not raising children. We're raising adults. We want our children to become adults who will be productive members in the family of God. So we need to communicate the gospel to them. We need to help them understand how to be productive in the church and in life and in service to God. So we're, we want to grow up. We, want, we don't want to be children for the rest of our lives. 
Paul wants the Ephesians to be edified so that they will not be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. There's a lot of false doctrine. There's a lot of bad teaching in our world today. It's very prevalent. It's very easy to get. And it's very well disguised. Paul says, if you know the word of God, if you are being edified, you will not be tossed about by the bad doctrine. And what's the end purpose? So that we can grow up in the body of Christ. So you see, when we speak the truth in love, and when we demonstrate the outworking of Christ working within us, we become and we continue to be a healthy, growing body, free from disease and free from pain. That's what we want for our children. That's what God, that's what Jesus wants for his church. And that's why he's given us these amazing gifts. Now, I don't know about you, but those are some pretty amazing gifts. What should my response be? Well, let me quickly read for you some words to a song. It's called, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. What a gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. He's the greatest gift, right? We can all agree on that, right? What a gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but Christ in me. So these are, these, are, these are some of the things that God has done for us through Christ. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. Hallelujah for that. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. Why is his power displayed? So that we can do the work that he has called us to do. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future is sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. Here we go now. This is our response. With every breath I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home, and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. <clears throat> to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips will repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. I serve Christ by the power and the strength that he has given to me. And that's the response that we should have because of these gifts. We want to serve Christ through the strength and the power that he has given to us to do exactly that. That's why he called us. That's why he saved us. That's why he doesn't take us home the minute we're saved. He leaves us here to serve him and to bring glory and honor to his name. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the patience of the people here today, willing to sit and listen to some amazing stuff, not because I said it, but because it's found in your word. Father, you're a good God. You've planned out so many wonderful, amazing things for us. Jesus has given us some incredible gifts that are ours through Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your word that grounds us in truth. It also gives us the message to speak as we go forth to be evangelists, telling others of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love and your care. Blessings you pour out upon us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.